Welcome to the CSRG Podcast. My name is Chris. My name is Keanu. Tonight we'll be talking about what CSRG actually does. We didn't spend a lot of time in our first episode. We just kind of glossed over it um, of what we're actually trying to do at CSRG. Um, but we'll, we'll start with a little background information. So I started in public accounting uh, a few years ago after I graduated. And I spent, um, I worked for a total of two or three years while I was in school and spent another I think six or seven months after I graduated until I could find a job I wanted. Um, so now I'm an auditor for the federal government. Uh, what about you, Chris? Yeah, so you know, straight out of college, I started working in uh, technology consulting. And so from there, I've been working with technology systems, but also doing a lot of operations and project management. Um, and a lot of data as well, right? Because you know, when you get into consulting, you end up inevitably working with data and trying to figure out how you can utilize data for an organization to make smart business decisions. So it was kind of almost a no-brainer for us to get into um, data analytics and kind of gamification of data for USPSA. You know, it's something that we've both been participating in for the past few years. Um, we've really enjoyed the sport, but there's a lot of untapped potential in terms of what is available data-wise for USPSA to gamify it and to add another aspect, you know, another competitive edge to shooting USPSA that makes it a little more fun without actually having to do any extra work or sign up for extra leagues or shoot IDPA versus USPSA. And so we've really been looking into a methodology that's gonna work for gamification for USPSA to bring more fun, more money, um, and you know another aspect to the game that we haven't seen done before uh, to this date. Yeah, um, I think the data analysis part was, that's something we're both used to doing, I think. Mm -hmm. But you know, but I think, is, but you and I are in different ends of it too. Yeah, and this this will be the first time that we almost do it for something that we enjoy doing for a hobby. Um, yeah, and we've seen it being used to make decisions in a business or in a in an organization before. Yeah, or see how it impacts a a business, not necessarily to make decisions too, but also just in general impact of exactly. Yeah, right. And so it, it, this has been an interesting couple of months for us to look at the data that's available on a shooter by shooter basis for a, you know a competition. But it's amazing how much data is actually made available to us by the way that uh, USPSA kind of structures scoring, hit factor, um, and even classification. It's it's something that you know three gun doesn't give us either or steel. Yeah, any challenge. sort of time plus um, scoring. And we had this conversation when we first started uh, whether we wanted to do other shooting sports, and we we kind of figured that since USPSA was unique with hit factor scoring. Um, and the points and classification structure, we thought that would be the best candidate to do this with. Because of time plus, you really only have penalties. Um, and It's just raw time plus it, penalties. It's raw time plus penalties, yeah. yeah, exactly. So there's not a whole lot of data to play with compared to USPSA. And I think the skill threshold is a lot higher, too, in USPSA. So it gives a lot more depth yeah, and shooters. And maybe not necessarily you know, the, the available skill level for the, for the competition that's available. Um, but it's, it's also, again, you know, when, we, when you think about data, even if you have high-level shooters and three-gun, it's not, or I guess any time-plus competition, it's not as evident because there's not enough data. You're just looking at raw time or total time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a very, very skilled three-gun shooter, you may not be able to see the difference in skill level because of the data available to you. There's just not enough data points. Well, you have the time and accuracy, that's about it. Yeah, but even right, accuracy, so. right? They don't, I don't think the three-gun scores will tell you, oh, that was just one alpha to the body or two anywhere. Yeah, so I, yeah, for most three-gun games or most multi-gun, it's always two hits. Um, on best two, or two, It's two hits on paper, that's it. 
yeah, there aren't but, any scoring or anything. You only get a penalty for missing the target or not, or like not neutralizing or whatever. Exactly. So you know, even for a high level shooter, you won't be able to tell how good their hits were, whether it was just one hit in the alpha or two anywhere. Yeah. You know, it's it's just okay. They they clear the stage with little penalties, and so you know if you know within USPSA, you can really look at somebody who's two percent away from each other on the leaderboard. And tell, oh, it's because this person shot faster or they shot more accurately. Yeah, and the data breakdown by stage is also, it, it's a lot of layers to it. Yeah. Um, so, like, take Ben Steger, for example. He's zero to stage at Nationals, but he's still won overall by a considerable amount. Which is nuts. And, like, yeah. you know, we, we talked about this on the episode of Chris Tilly uh, probably about a month, month or two back. There's so much to the hit factor and how it's calculated that a lot of us aren't really in tune with how to really maximize how stages are designed and how to shoot them to maximize your hit factor. And there's, again, there's so much data and you know it's almost too simple when you look at it from a hit factor perspective to see what goes into it. But we're really trying to dive into that to see how we can tap into that for gamification for USPSA. Yeah. Um, so going to the, I guess the main point of gamification is that we're looking to establish ELOs on both the local and the area slash section level. But you know, going to gamification and ELO, uh, Kenny, do you kind of want to go through the methodology in terms of what we're looking at at this point in time? Yeah, so right now this is just for the local matches. I think as we go to bigger matches, we might have to change the methodology a little bit. Um, but basically, so our scoring, our, our ELO points are derived from ultimately three factors, and then we add the a normalizer to it. Um, so it's it's four, but really from the match itself, it's it's three. And that would be the division placement. So that's your percentage. Um, in your percentage placement in the division. So let's say you shot second place at 98%. So uh, we divide that by 10. So you just get 9.8 points um, for the for, for that match. And then we have a participation uh, multiplier. So every for, for every shooter, it just compounds the multiplier. So, you know, as, as the division gets bigger, you're going to have a greater uh, multiplier. And that's going to be the biggest multiplier we're using. So we, we, we want to reward bigger matches and matches with more participation, or at least divisions with more participation. So um, that way, you know, we're, we're trying to keep the relevant, I, I don't want to hurt revolver <laughs> shooter's feelings or L10 shooter's feelings, but, yeah, that, but that's just the way it is, right? You want to keep the, the, the relevant and pertinent divisions relevant. Yeah, and you know, for, I guess, you know, we'll jump, we'll talk about this later, but you know, we want to talk about long-term goals. We want to bring money back into the sport. Yeah. Um, based on how you perform, we want to be able to end up eventually paying people based on how they perform at you know a national or major match level or area match level match. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're really trying to prevent with our methodology is from people shooting, I guess, divisions with low participation to maximize on almost taking advantage of the system. Yeah, exactly. But you know, we also want to make sure you know for those low, you know, I guess. Yeah, I don't want to say non-pertinent, but you know, the lower the, the partic- less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the lower participation, right? You know that there's less data to play with and it's almost you know you're looking at a lot of outliers from a statistical perspective right because you don't have a good sample size it's almost hard to work with the data yeah and 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 in all honesty like we'll talk about this um or actually this is a good segue to get into our next portion mm -hmm. so we we also have a multiplier based on division skill level and we derive that from the number of masters and grandmasters in division so this just goes into the whole the, the whole point of pertinent divisions, right? Because if you have a, you know, I bet you most of these local matches where you're shooting L10 or Revolver, by majority, you're not going to have GMs or Ms shooting them, right? 
or you might only have a GM. Or you might, yeah, or you might only have one, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, that it, it would skew the, it would unfairly skew the data if you were just to have one GM shooting it, um, but then only one person or two people shooting it too. So they'd be kind of sandbagging in their own, like on our own scoreboard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. Yep. And, you know, one thing that we've also been trying to do with the methodology is to prevent sandbagging as well. You know, as as our methodology grows, what you'll notice is that there's very little advantage to use a shooter to maintain a high ranking within your particular classification. Um, and you can find out more about this, you know, if you check out our Facebook or you check out some of the documents that are available right now um, in terms of, you know, what we're looking at in terms of the game plus the methodology but what we're really trying to do is build equity amongst all the competitors throughout CSRG. Um, and again, that's going to mean preventing sandbagging, preventing people from taking advantage of the system through divisions with low participation. And so, you know, we're probably going to learn a lot uh, the larger our sample size gets, but we're really hoping to take a look into the algorithms that we're using to build that equity so that no one is really taking advantage of the system and we're kind of crushing outliers out of the methodology so that it, it becomes equitable and self-sustaining in the long run. Yeah, and this would be really cool too in the long run because so the way USPSA tracks stats, I, I believe they only have an aggregate number. Um, but with this on a local level, so you know, so matches can see which divisions are growing and which divisions are you know kind of stagnating um, or which divisions have the most skill or what, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, we can use this data on a month-by-month basis to see how matches are doing um, on the month-by-month because, you know, depending on the season, depending on the weather, depending on all these sh- on all the shooters and everything, um, or even just depending on like match management, you'll see a uh, you'll see fluctuations in match participation. So I th- I think this will give a cool perspective on how we or on how matches kind of um, change through through the year. Or Absolutely. through the, or, you know, over time in, in general. Yeah. And one thing that we've discussed as well is that, you know, sometimes life happens. You're not going to be able to go to a local match or sometimes you're not going to be able to go to a section match in your area. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, you know, you're traveling for work. There's family issues. Um, you know, some people have children. They just can't go out and shoot a match anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're building in normalizers for, you know, matches missed. But we're also trying to build a decay model where if you're not shooting... You know, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was decay. It's more of a stagnation. Kind of, yeah. So, so like, it's decay in, in practical terms, though, because as you're not shooting, people are get or people are shooting. Yeah. Right? So you're you're not losing. You're not actively losing points, but you're going to be actively losing placement just because of participation. Yeah, but but we're also trying to build in. You know, we understand you can't shoot the same match every month, for example. And you know, if you were to miss a match or two, we still want your Elo ranking to be competitive. Mm-hmm. And still equitable, you know, just because something occurred in the personal in your personal life that prevents you from shooting, that all of a sudden you're no longer relevant in the ranking system. So yeah. So ideally, if you miss a couple of matches, nothing would really nothing would have a big impact on yeah. your leaderboard placement. But you know, as as we go down this journey for you know the two of us as we build out this methodology, um, you know, we'll see corrections and we'll make them when you know when we see outliers or we see things that aren't equitable to certain circumstances yeah oh since we're talking about this now i think we should just plug it uh-huh. if you want to see the stats in the leaderboard and then you want to see a one pager of, try- of like us showing what we're trying to do we'll have a methodology um i have the sheet i'm just i just need to get it um posted up but if you want to go to shadowhawk defense is it dot com mm-hmm. yeah shadowhawkdefense.com and you click on the csrg tab 
Um, we're working with them. They're a local USPSA match. We've, we've been working with them over the last few months to try and get this pushed out. Um, click on the CSRG tab, and then you'll be able to see your current ranking now. Um, we're only doing this, doing this at one match kind of as a beta test, too. Yeah, just to see how it runs and we're going to need to tweak the methodology and everything as time goes on yeah and again you know we right now for csrg um shot in the area that we live in shadowhawk is really probably the most diverse match we see um it you know they got a great facility yeah um, they have a lot of people who come out to participate from all skill levels mm -hmm. and um you know there are other great matches in our area but we i don't think we see the diversity we see at shadowhawk really anywhere else in the virginia maryland delaware area yeah yeah, it's it's cool. We have shooters who come from all over Pennsylvania, all over Maryland, all over West Virginia and Virginia coming to shoot one match. So, you know, there and there end up being like 120 people at a single match, yeah. which is absurd for level one. Espe you know, especially because they do run a Saturday plus Sunday relay. And so, you know, it gives the people a lot of opportunities to shoot. And so we really, you yeah. know, we love the club personally shooting USPSA. Yeah. We love the people who run it. And the diversity of data points that we get from it really has, I guess, identified them as the club to work with to beta test this. Um, but I guess this is a good way also for us to segue into local matches, right? Um, right now, I guess from the short term, we want to be able to run our ELO plus methodology at the local club level and just at the club level and not necessarily at a local aggregate level per se. Yeah, and there was a, when, when Shadowhawk first announced the um, earlier this week of what we were doing um, and made it publicly available, there were, I, I got a good bit of feedback from a few people saying how it would be cool to have a network of shooters um, or network of clubs um, for each individual shooter and you know, it would create an area ranking or a section ranking or something like that. And Chris and I talked about, and we talked about this early on too, when we, when we were first starting, because it's a cool idea on paper, but the only issue is, like we were saying, realistically, it would work best and probably only work in area eight and maybe area seven. Um, at a state level, it might work better. At a section level, it might work better. Mm -hmm. But right now, if people are saying area clubs, yeah, that's that's too much right and it's, there's too much location difference and like even if you think about you know area eight for example we have, we've got a handful of local indoor clubs and i feel like right now if we were to run it as a network of local matches there just aren't enough commonality between variables between the matches to make it equitable um you may have somebody who lives in the maryland peninsula for example who can only travel to yeah, certain on the eastern of or western shore yeah yeah they, they realistically in, in where we live they have three uspsa matches that they mm -hmm. can go to that's within a reasonable driving distance yeah and you know you may the way that the algorithm is based right now is that it, it also rewards you for placing well in a division with a lot of heat with a lot of gms a lot of masters mm -hmm. and sometimes you just can't get that and so for all of a sudden you're just at a disadvantage because of where you live um, because of where you know where you're situated and we don't want that yeah and we also have a lot of shooters who maybe not in our area but area but, but i think by majority most of the country is shooters that um who will shoot maybe just one to two clubs a month mm -hmm. at like maybe two clubs at most or people who are lucky to shoot one match a month right so like i said it might work for area eight just because we our area is particularly abundant in matches but then you're talking about like area one, area two, where you have like places like New Mexico, California, Washington, states that are the size of our entire USPSA area. Yeah. Right. So 
I think that that puts a lot more. Uh, it, it it makes it a lot harder to to equitably track statistics. Yeah, and I I think the only way to really make it work is for us to develop some other methodology for USPSA to build something like a normalizer or a handicap rating based on high hit factor. Something you know very similar that golf does. Um, you know, from I'm not a golf person, so yeah. So, so something that golf does is that they have something called slope and handicap for courses. So there is a methodology to actually rank how hard a course is, for example. And so the only way that'll really work at the local level is that if you're able to compare the difficulty of the local club in terms of the stages that they're putting together, the type of targets they're using, and the high hit factor for each of the stages. Yeah, because you know there are clubs out there that just put opposer stages. Yeah, and there will be like. You know, eight, seven, seven, eight hit factor, thirty-two round field courses, which is absurd. Yeah, and you know, all of a sudden, you know, you you might be able to gain a ton of points for shooting a match that is not, you know, necessarily harder than another one, but you're getting rewarded for it. Yeah, and so there's just no control variable for us to really look at to normalize between them between the matches. And I guess this, you know, we could segue into the section and area matches in terms of why this would work on the section level. But not the local level. Yeah, I, I think the section level matches might work um, as for section stats, and then we can also pull them into area stats. Yes, uh-huh. just because it's more likely that people are going to shoot those matches just because it's a major match, um, and they're more willing to travel because yeah, it's yeah, a major match. Yeah, people aren't going to drive three to four hours for a level one, but you and I will drive five, five to seven hours mm-hmm. for a level two. Yeah. And I think a lot of shooters are on the same boat, at least the ones who do want to compete on a, on a higher level. Um, and, and and I think that is a lot of people in USPSA now. If, if uh, registration nightmares are any <laughs> indication of it. So I, I think pulling them out of Delmarva um, for our section, um, taking all of Delmarva um, major matches and everything, and then you can use, you can have that as a section leaderboard and then if I guess if you have enough participation, right? Because then we go into the into the area de- into the geography again. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Delmarva section is right next to the Mid Atlantic section. It's not hard for us to go shoot Mid Atlantic section matches. Yeah. It's hard for people in Arizona to shoot matches in middle of California. Mm-hmm. So I think that might be something we're going to have to consider too in the future. Yeah. So um, maybe section matches, keeping them, um, and then if. We'll have to find a way to determine whether we want to kind of uh, normalize um, section matches to pull into area matches. Yeah. Or pull into the area stats. Yep. And, you know, we're still a very new startup as well. As most of you guys know, we really just started in April. Um, so we're really focused on Area 8 at the moment just because that's where, our, you know, we are, we are residents of and we compete in that area. Yeah. Um, but, you know, right now a lot of our methodology is being based around Area 8, but we will you know, continue to learn and grow as we branch out and as we get larger. Um, and you know, if, if people find the methodology you know, appealing and they want to participate in it, we, you know, we were going to learn from those areas where they will have different variables than what we have to deal with here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, talking about the gamification though, right? You know, the one thing that we haven't talked about yet is nationals. You know, IPSC nationals plus USPSA nationals. Yeah. Um, this one's a little tougher, though, right? Because this is just a single match yeah. out of the year, right? It's not like you have three matches that lead up to nationals. 
you know, people are shooting their section matches, their area matches, and then all of a sudden, boom, nationals. Yep. Well, um, even then, like, there are some nationals. Or are, are there area matches after nationals? Maybe. I think area... Um, yeah, well, I mean, like, for example, Virginia State's going to be after nationals this year Yeah, there, Yeah, there was at least one major match last year that was after nationals. Yeah. I don't remember which one it was. But, yeah, like, there are a bunch of other matches that go in from different areas that come after nationals too like we're shooting two majors next uh this year that come after nationals yeah. mm-hmm. but you know the, so so this one might be a little tougher but you know the cool thing about nationals is usually the competitive i guess the competitive pool at the top level is generally pretty i guess consistent in most of the divisions you know the the big names we see are usually always shooting nationals um but another cool thing is that we see a lot of people from the ipsic regions coming to shoot nationals as well mm-hmm. um so then all of a sudden we have you know st- stat points or i guess data points to compare you know u.s shooters to international ipsic shooters you can rank you know rank top competitors in the usa for elo points and then you can also compare them to ipsic shooters so you know there's a lot of data points that we get to play with but i think the coolest thing about nationals for us from a data perspective is almost I want to say fantasy USPSA, but almost forecasting who the winners are going to be or, you know, how people are going to place from your area at nationals. Yeah. So I I think we were talking about that with a lot of the shooters who end up shooting well at area matches tend to shoot nationals too, like you were saying. And I think a lot of the high overall winners, like, you know, we're talking people like Vlieger, like Cody Baker, JJ. Um, they all shoot. They shoot a lot of area matches too, mm-hmm. and Max will shoot a lot of area matches as well. So I think we might reasonably have enough data to pull out of all all of the area matches to kind of, like you said, we could maybe predict and derive some potential winners. I think the only outlier would be Ben, because yeah, Ben uh, doesn't shoot a lot of matches. He's, he he teaches full time, um, but he practices a lot. Yeah, but but that almost makes it more exciting, right? Because you've got your, I guess, from a you know statistics perspective, you've got right, the your, people you see, the yeah, people with visibility, exactly. And then all of a sudden you'll have wild cards, right? Like you know, I, I don't know how much Christian Seiler's been shooting recently since he's gone to college. From he you shot know, a good bit of he shot a good bit of majors. Uh huh. But like, let's say for example, all of a sudden he kind of drops out from the area scene, to, you know, to focus on studies and whatnot. But he's still practicing, and all of a sudden nationals, you know, he's almost a wild card. Ben will also be a wild card because he's not shooting majors or like area matches as much, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's going to create some more excitement in terms of, you know, what we're forecasting. Um, you know, with, with good data, uh, sorry, excuse me, good data points as well from the area matches, you can also run really cool database games like, you know, team-based competition. You can, you know, you could pair up a top five shooter in division with a top 16, top 25, top 40 shooter. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you can run stats on how they perform in nationals, and you know pair them up against other people yep. in that division to see how they you know put up against each other. And then so. we were talking about pairing um, area area class leaders, class yeah. leaders, mm-hmm. yeah, and then, with you know, with other um, with other competitors from their area, and then seeing how people in different areas shoot against each other at a single standardized match. Exactly, and so you might have you know you'll have your GM, class leader, your master class, A class, B class, C class, and D class shooter, you know, you've got six competitors who all of a sudden are not only competing for their own individual placement, they're also playing a team game where they want to, you know, 
I guess, focus on consistency and, you know, not dropping so many points that by the end of it, you know, all of a sudden Area 8 can, you know, rag on Area 7, for example, for being them at nationals as a team. You know, you can have uh, jerseys that are for particular, you know, area teams, for example. Yeah. Um, and there's just a lot you can do with the data. And, you know, we just have only started tapping into the potential that we have available to us in the sport. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of lost potential in just data manipulation because mm-hmm. that was the whole point of what we're trying to do, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think all the data and all the information that gets input into practice score and into USPSA is really underappreciated. Yeah. Um, it really, I think people stand a lot to gain just by looking a little closer. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of IT guys in the sport as well. You know, it's almost a... Dude, I'm pretty sure, like... 70% of all gun owners are IT people. Yeah, and like, <laughs> and not only is IT people, they're kind of like IT nerds. They're, you know, they're into it. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's actually a, a point of, I guess, contention. Well, not necessarily contention, but, you know, you've got your tactical guys who just don't like getting beat by IT nerds at USPSA matches. Yeah, I don't, we, don't, um, we don't have a lot of Timmies in the sport, we, though. We don't. Um, um, we have a lot of weird multi-gunners who shoot PCC, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. But I, I think... But I, I think appreciating USPSA scoring, you have to have that mindset of like of understanding data under, and appreciating um, how how different you know how uh, what's the word I'm looking for um, like minute information mm-hmm. can affect something on a bigger scale. Yeah, like who you know who really looks at the ratio between alphas, charlies, and deltas in a match, you know? But well, I see a delta, I get pissed. Well, well, yeah, but you're not like, oh, the winner has a ratio of, you know, let's say, you know, 85 to, you know, 85 to 15 from an Alpha Charlie perspective. Yeah. You right. Know, but but yeah. th- that's what that's what hit factor really is. And that's what the percentage mm-hmm. is. And there's just so much going into the calculation for your overall score or even your division score. Mm-hmm. That's just, you know, nobody really pays attention to because they see the cool leaderboard of, you know, oh, well, I placed, you know, first, second, third, 16th, 15th out of my division yeah especially how especially with um with stage values too and how and how stages are weighed differently and everything yeah. so there's just there's so much data that goes into a single division placement yeah and you know this comes into big data right and you know nobody thought data analytics on google searches for example would have been such a thing but that literally drives our world now there's no way you can get around from adsense from all oh of yeah the- absolutely and every you, every ad you see is entirely based on data, data exactly analytics. and it's based on you yourself as a person like you mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure right now you know when i pick up my phone i'll get ads for data analytics because yeah. we've been talking about it and siri's been listening to everything we've been talking about well, okay i have siri turned off so <laughs> good thing it's just you but you know it's i feel like you know we're kind of at that point in the sport where where big data was you know five ten years ago where nobody really thought data really played a part in how you could be running an organization or a sport yeah exactly if if no one has an appreciation for data but likes movies you should watch moneyball yeah absolutely i think that's that's a really really good um movie to watch brad pitt or i mean uh (laughs) (laughs) jonah hill oh yeah yeah (laughs) thick (laughs) but no but so so um I guess for people who haven't seen Moneyball is like the, the 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 center plot is a team that doesn't have a lot of money and they have to build a you know a world championship level team for baseball based and, on all statistics and and Jonah Hill does it so you know the traditionally they were saying that they base it off of who's popular 
who's who do people want? Like who are the superstars? Like yeah. who's on this, you know, the super squads. Yeah, so then Jonah Hill goes in and then he he pulls a bunch of data in from from all these from college stats and you know minor league stats and everything and he says we have this much money and this is how much we can spend on players and this these people are who who we're going to spend money on to build an all-star team and is entirely based off of you know data. Yeah. And you know so I, I... I know not many people enjoy golf. You know, I usually get a lot of flack for playing okay, golf. Okay, we should we should say this. Chris really likes this whole data leaderboard Elos thing because well, he played, and he's got a better understanding and has a better conceptualization of it than I do because he plays golf or he played golf. So I, you know, I played varsity golf in high school. But aside from that, I've been I've been an avid gamer pretty much my entire life. I grew up playing you know consoles because of my older brother. You know, starting from Nintendo. All the way up to you know modern day PC gaming. You know I played in MLG leagues when I was in college for Xbox. I've Nerd. also, <laughs> wow, thanks, dude. Uh, but you know I've and I've played a lot of you know games like League of Legends and even World of Warcraft. There was a lot of this Elo stat tracking yeah. where you're pitted up against other competitors throughout the world that you may never know, and there's an entire game based off of it. Like you don't have to do anything extra. You're literally just participating in something that's given to you. Yep. And then all of a sudden, you have rankings. You've got people who are very popular based on how well they're doing in a ranking system. I mean, fi- like fantasy football does the exact same Absolutely, thing because yeah. it just takes players. You know, they perform certain. They, they perform at a certain level, and you say, "Okay, this player is worth this much more because he per- performs at this level." Yeah. And then you put your. And then you know you you build your team, and then based on that, you can pitch yourself against other teams. Exactly. And then you, get, you get money for it, um, but. The only football's weird though because it's a team sport. Exactly. Uh-huh. At least, even compared to League of Legends, right? Because League of Legends, it's a small team. It's a small yeah. team mm-hmm. game. Football, there are a lot of players that go into. There are a lot more factors that yeah. go into it, which I actually think makes it cooler. It makes fantasy football mm-hmm. even cooler. Um, minus the dumb rules in football. Yeah, but but, but you have, you have commonalities. You got the the same variables, right? You've got you know a linebacker, right? It's just scale. Linebacker, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's just scale and depth of of who and what. Yeah, and you know, for those who do play golf, right? I mean, what we're trying to do isn't necessarily a new idea. It's not necessarily groundbreaking in terms of data analytics or sports. You look at the FedEx Cup for golf, where pretty much each player, when they participate in a major tournament during the PGA Tour, like they're getting points based on how they place in a in a tournament because it, there is commonality throughout the entire yeah entire game that they're yeah, playing and i remember when we first brought up this idea of having a leaderboard you were you were saying dude you should read about the fedex cup because yeah. it, this is exactly what we're doing and so you know, like i think i guess anyone familiar with sports in general like a major sport is going to understand it because yeah baseball football um maybe not soccer soccer sucks but baseball <laughs> football golf like even um, tennis right? tennis you, too you right like tennis. you you can pre- like they'll take the data they'll predict certain outcomes and or you know analysts will and like Politics will do the exact same thing, yeah. just based on just based on the numbers and just based on outcomes, um, to predict an even larger outcome. So yeah. this is nothing. The only different, the only thing we're doing here is just bringing it to USPSA. Pretty much, and you know, it's because we we looked into it. and We thought, you know, USPS USPSA is fun. What can we do to make it more fun? And that's yeah. kind of how we've landed yeah, exactly. where we are today. Um, but you know, when we talk about long term goals of where we want to see CSRG going. Plus taking the sport, I think the you know the first thing is is bringing money back into the sport. 
Yeah. Well, um, do we want to talk about what level we want to do this at? Because I know you and I spent a lot of time talking about at the lower level, at, at the club level, because that's kind yeah. of USPSA's grassroots, right? Yeah. Um, you know, major matches won't happen without local shooters uh, for the most part. And then, you know, all these clubs and all these um, sections need money and everything from, yeah. from, the, lo- from the local people. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we were talking about, so we have class leaders right now yep. that are posted mm-hmm. on um, for Shadowhawks match. Yes, uh-huh. Um, d- did you want to, I think you have a better idea of what you want to do for how, how the payouts and everything and how ranking and everything is going to work within the class. Yeah, so I think, you know, just to touch up on it, you know, we talked about sandbagging before and, you know, very, very few people in our sport like sandbaggers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, oh, what... Not only sandbaggers... Paper M's and paper GM's, a lot yes. of people. So this, ideally, our system is trying to eliminate them having an effect on anything. Yes. Um, but, you know, when it comes to a payout structure, on a large scale, what we want to see is that when you are a class leader in your division, um, essentially people, the person who beats you by the most percentage will get paid money. If that makes sense. Right, so it makes know, sense to me because so, you and I have talked about this a lot. Yeah, so King, <laughs> let, let's say Kano. He right now he is currently the M class leader in limited, in at Shadowhawk, and so essentially, if somebody beats Kano in limited for the next match, we want to we want to be able to pay them money for beating him, but that also means that Kano has no chance of winning money as the M class leader. So it's going to give him an incentive to bump up to the GM class, so that he can <laughs> compete at the GM no, level. No. Yeah, I do no, not. And I do it, not do it's kind of scary, right? I mean, but but what we want to do is we want to drive people to get better or to get better. We want to drive people to kind of have this sense of competition where even if you're a D class shooter, that we want to bring an aspect of competition to that level where you're not necessarily just looking at the overall leaderboard anymore. And yeah. that there's actual reward for you to get better and to do well in your class. And I know for a fact people have um, people have other people they're trying to chase at matches. Absolutely. Like so, if you're shooting in carry optics, and then your carry optics, let's say a shooter, mm-hmm. you are there is absolutely a carry optics M shooter who's at every single match that you're shooting for at that club or whatever that you're trying to chase and you're trying to beat. So, so why not get money while you? Yeah, exactly. To do it? So so like why not try and why not chase the dragon? Exactly. But you know another fun thing that we'll see in our stats as we move forward is that you'll also see, for example, there is going to be an A class shooter who's doing better than an M-class shooter on the ELO, I guess, our ELO leaderboard. And that's going to be kind of cool, too, because you'll see who the paper GMs and who the paper M's are, because you'll have people beating them in ranking who are lower classes than them. And, you know, there's not, you know, we're not necessarily going to do something to bump them down back to M-class, for example, because we don't have that capability with USPSA. But those people will just no longer be competitive, and what they'll essentially be doing is just feeding points two competitors at a match. Yeah. Um, also, we should point out that for um, for, the, for the class leaders, you're not... There's not a whole lot of incentive in general to stay at um, their, their level two. Yeah. So I don't mm-hmm. think we're necessarily thinking about payouts or anything like that yeah. um, for the class leaders. Maybe... I think maybe it'd be cool to have one for the longest class leader like duration, like how long yeah. you've held mm-hmm. one for, right? And that's something we can easily track with the data that we have. Exactly, yeah. So um, um, 
we we basically we want we don't really want to reward stagnation though. We want to re- reward progress. Yeah, but you know, there's a very real possibility though. Like let's say at M class, there's another competitor who's chasing Keanu, and they'll be flip flopping every other match. All of a sudden, Keanu will be ousted as class leader, and another person will come in, and then you know you guys will be flip flopping at that M level, and you know that that may be really good to stay in that class because you may not be ready to move up to GM, but you're shooting competitively at the highest level in M class. And so, you know, there's going to be different variables to it, but what, what we're trying to do, you know, from a general perspective is to prevent that stagnation and to prevent people from being comfortable with where they're currently standing from an ELO perspective as well as their classification. But, you know, what we also talked about class leaders, and I think from you know, a long-term goal perspective is eventually we want a database that's housed online with a web portal based online as well, where you can see who your class leaders are at both, or it's not both, but at the local level, the section slash area level and the national level. Yeah. And what we also want to do is, you know, we want to bring in this aspect of online gaming where you're spotlighted for your performance on a, you know, a front page of a high traffic website saying that you are currently the class leader at your particular club or your area or in the national level. And what this is also going to do is it's going to bring another platform for sponsors to also, you know, be able to choose who they want to sponsor and, you know, another platform for them to be able to get their name out. And so it's, I I don't want to say it's, it's another medium, but what it really is, it's just another data point for people who are looking for sponsors or people who are looking to get sponsorships. It's another platform for them to say, this is the tangible data of my performance throughout the year. This yeah, is- it's not just a single matches data or saying, oh, I'm an M-class shooter, but then in reality, you exactly. don't shoot an M-class level. Like this, <clears throat> this is- I would know. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, this is my impact. You know, I'm class leader at you know, six different clubs in my area. I participate in you know, all the section matches. I'm a section class leader. Um, and then that, you know, for people like JJ, for example, who have a lot of sponsors that he works with, it's another platform where their brand is also noticed, right? Because, yeah. you know, if we go just based solely off of national stats last year. It's, it's, a, it's not a bad stat nationals as a whole because, mm-hmm. because of the skill pool. But I think having a larger data pool to add on with nationals really adds more... Um, it adds more weight and value to a match result. Absolutely, yeah, right? Because you know, in the business world, if you want to do something or if you want to ask for something, you usually need data or empirical yeah, evidence you, to back you, like, it up. You know, your resume doesn't say one thing, right? Yeah. If you want to get a job um, for, for a certain skill set, you want to say, hey, I've done these things, and this is when I've done them, this is how I've done them, mm-hmm. right? These are, like, this is a display of my skill. Yeah. So. I, I guess you could you could kind of say we're kind of building like a data resume basically for your match performance, mm-hmm. right? So you can just eventually in the future what we want to do is we want to have, you know, like like you said, a database. You search your um, USPSA number since we'll be using that as the yep. as our we're primary using that right key, yeah. now as a primary keys that might have to change um, due to the numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, eventually you'll just be able to search whatever key we're using. And then we'll be able to it'll show where you are in clubs on a club level, where you are in a section level, where you are in area level, where you are in a national level, all that stuff. Yeah. And maybe but one day an international level. on the global level. Yeah. I'm sorry. At the airsoft level. Yeah. <laughs> Ipsic air, man. It's pretty cool. Whatever. Um, I'm not going to Korea or Hong Kong anytime <laughs> soon. 
But yeah, and then, you know, just to touch up on some of our hopefuls, you know, in the next five, ten years, if we get there, um, you know, one thing we want to do is we want to be able to sponsor major matches as well. I mean, again, we, you know, we, I talked about this before. We want to pump money back into the sport. And, yeah. you know, it, it's kind of tough to admit USPSA is a hobby. And like a lot of hobbies, there's just no money in it because you don't have major athletic sponsors like Nike pushing for shoes or jerseys. Yeah. You know? And so there's, there's very little money in it as a professional shooter. So what we want to change is to be able to bring these empirical data points to say, hey, look, this is how many people your brand is reaching. Maybe we can bring money back into the sport. Uh, Are you saying we're going to become the Google of USPSA? Possibly. Or, <laughs> or we might fail completely in our endeavors, you know, but this is kind of the fun about it. You know, we're, we have a passion for it. We, we yeah. want to do it. We want to get it out there. and We want to grow the sport like a lot of people do. Um, you know, aside from sponsoring major matches, we want to be able to sponsor shooters as well. Yeah, we want to do like like actual sponsorships where we, where we actually you know will will monetarily support the shooter. Yeah, not only in um, match fees. Yeah, not only mm-hmm. in match fees too, but we want to, we're talking about travel for, um, like, I guess like contingency programs too, kind of like yeah. what, like what Akai and Walter do. But you know, if if we find a model that works and we're able to monetize, we're even thinking about you know straight up salaries for sponsored shooters. Like yeah, that'll and be your. This livelihood. is like way long term. Yeah. though. Like by the way, but, but you know, this that, isn't something we're looking at doing in the next even like two years. Yeah. I think like this is five years plus. But you uh, know this this is something that we've thought about right. Yeah. You know you know talking so we're, to Chris we're trying Tilly, to get ahead of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know during the during that podcast, Chris Tilly he mentioned you know it's hard for even the pro shooters because they need to think about how to put food on the table and you know how yeah. great would it be to bring USPSA to a point where it's a sport where you can actually do that while also competing yeah make it the way it used to be because it like USPSA nationals in like the 90s or whatever it would be you need know, to have payouts that were hundred amounting to hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars um, from nationals and from like area matches and everything like that so you know people you know like like Rob Latham, Doug Koenig, people like that, they put money, or like Jerry Barnhart, they put mm-hmm. food on their table be, by winning matches. Yeah. And that's that's just how they did it. That was their bread and butter, and now it's harder for people to, people to do that, even pro shooters, because pro shooters have to spend a lot of time and money. Um, or I guess they don't have to spend money, but they have spent a lot of time um, away from the range and a lot of it, you know, behind the booth advertising and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know... Some people might say, you know, or, you know, the haters might say, you know, that's impossible. You know, USPSA will never get enough support or CSRG will never get enough support to, you know, put money on the table for these competitors. But, you know, people said the same thing about competitive gaming. But, you know, I think back in 2014, we saw a multi-million dollar payout for a League of Legends tournament on the world stage. Isn't, isn't Korea's entire economy based on League of Legends? <laughs> Not, well, it's been changing, you know. We, like, and Samsung? Samsung, well, <laughs> well, but you know, you people will laugh at gaming and say, "Oh, you're just a nerd," but we have pro sports teams in America right now buying gaming teams. Like, I don't know if that's well known. Oh no, like I know, like if you if you go on MLG's website too during season ladders and everything, you can see how much money they're paying. Out. Yeah, and, and it is not a, it, it is not an inconsequential amount of money. Yeah, and I think I like I remember I think the first pro team i think it was either the spurs or the suns like they were the first ones to buy Basketball? yeah they were the first people to buy a professional overwatch team oh no kidding I didn't so know that. so they they own like they're starting to invest in e-gaming right and so like esports who would have thought that that would have happened in our lifetime yeah and so well we, I, I think though it's weird for us because 
Um, it's different in the gaming industry because the gaming industry has the backing of gaming companies, it does, right? Yeah, so, you know, EA, Activision, um, and all those other people, and like Microsoft, they have a lot more money mm-hmm. than, the, than shooting sports, right? Because everyone knows there's a lot of revenue going into the gun business. There's not a lot of net income coming out. Yeah. Um, just because of margins. And everyone knows shooters are cheap. Yeah. So, you know, they're going to look for the best deal best deal out there. And that's why, yep. like, local shops struggle and everything just, just to... Um, just to feed, just to pay their employees, yeah, and just to keep inventory. So I, I, it was easier back in the '90s because in USP there weren't thirty-five thousand people participating in USPSA, mm-hmm. and now the sport's gone. It's grown so big, it's become unsustainable for sponsors to to kind of monetarily support um, shooters to the capacity it did before. Yeah, and you know you see, and it's not a bad thing either because it's but. It has changed the dynamic of the sport from a, um, from kind of a pro sport because it was like, dude, you can look on YouTube, you can look up Rob Latham shooting on ESPN, yeah. shooting pro am, uh-huh. um, in the '90s, and um, you know, it's it's changed a lot from becoming a pro sport to a hobby sport. Yeah, um, but you know, part of that is the changing dynamic of the market, right? I mean, you see this in employment today. There's you know a lot of product based commerce you know back in the 90s and then all of a sudden there was a you know the the dot-com bubble and then all of a sudden brick and mortars were hitting a lot of you know troubled times mm-hmm. right and so i think right now we're just seeing that impact just in a different way in the you know in the shooting sports you know all of a sudden you know if you can bring tangible data points to businesses and how you can grow your business from data alone all of a sudden you know we're in the 21st century and we're we're, we're brokering in data now for example. So, you know, I think it's an exciting time for the sport because be, like I feel like, you know, like you said it's kind of diverted to a hobby sport. Yeah. But what's, you know, I feel like there's very little that's holding us back from bringing it back to the point where it's no longer just a hobby because, you know, we we're, we've kind of been holding ourselves back because we call it a volunteer sport, we call it a hobby sport. Yeah. But, you know, no, I, I agree, but uh, like I think at this point really it's not just it's not just a market change or it's mm-hmm. not just a um, it's not going to be any handful of companies trying to change it. It's going to be a culture change within our within Absolutely. our sport, right? Because you know we're 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 talking about we're we're talking fundamentally altering how the sport's going to be treated. It's a big paradigm shift. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So you know the way people's heads are going to be in the game, the way people are going to think about paying for matches every time they pull their credit card out just to pay a two hundred dollar match fee. Mm-hmm. You know that's all going to change, and everything's going to be different, and everything has to change for in, in order to this for this to become sustainable. Yeah. Um. So, and like you know, we're not even talking dumb trophies or plaques anymore. Like we're talking about like real money, straight cash money, and you yeah. know, we're talking about tax return statements on the money you win from you know certain matches. Well, only six hundred dollars for the ten ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and and IPSC can do this too, but I think mm-hmm. they can only do it because of the breadth of IPSC coverage because it's not just Germany, it's not just Switzerland, yeah. it's not just Sweden, it's all over Europe and it's or it's it's all over the world. Absolutely, because you, know, you have mm-hmm. Thailand, you have Australia, you have the entire like Pacific area, and even you know countries. Keanu mentioned earlier, Ipsic Air. There's a lot of places where you can't own guns as a citizen, where you're still able to compete. And those Ipsic. matches pay money. They do, and you know you look at Ipsic Nat or Ipsic Air. Uh, world shoot you're looking at like 900 competitors shooting airsoft guns you know so there's a lot of people out there kind of doing it globally 
um, in a way that USPSA has never thought about. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, and yeah, there's just a lot of, there's just a lot more stuff we can, you know, that we'd like to dig into with USPSA that it's just untapped potential, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and not using it is ultimately going to, I guess, hurt the sport. Yeah. And, or well, least, it, it, won't, it won't hurt it. It might stagnate it and it yeah. might kind of, um, or it, it might, it might hurt shooters too, just because they're not seeing what they should be seeing ideally. Yeah. And you know, you know, we talk about stagnation. Um, and again, to me, this just reminds me of kind of the dot-com era where websites all of a sudden, like commerce on websites, people would think never would take off and look at Amazon today. Yeah, the richest you know? man in the world now is like, he is Amazon. Yeah, and so, you know, you have to see paradigm shifts. You have to be open to it and you've got to be, you know, looking in a smart way to adopt it. And, you know, we're just hoping that what we do, even if we're not the ones to really pioneer it, we want to be able to push kind of what the edge of that looks like for USPSA. Yeah, and and we both really think that this will ultimately benefit the shooter, benefit the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, this will kind of this this will reform USPSA or, or like you know that's what we're, that's what we want to do. We want to reform USPSA to something that it has so much more potential to be. Yeah, you know it's modern. It's like it's appealing to younger shooters. Yeah, um, it's and- very cool. Like it's I I see more like you know when I was shooting high power, I never saw people. Our age shooting high power <laughs> outside of like me and my like and like a couple of my friends, uh-huh. um, but USPSA has the attraction, it has the um, excitement, and, like captivity of yeah, of uh, of speed because it's dynamic, it's cool. Yeah. Like you look at it on camera, it's sexy. Like people are influencers because they shoot well, you know. And so what we're trying to do is we're just trying to bring that 21st century, I guess, viewpoint or perspective to it, where it's gamified, it's you know, it's public it's available and all of a sudden you know people are getting recognized for their performance so that's kind of ultimately what we're trying to do yeah so we're really looking forward to the future we really are yeah um like we said though i think in the first year we're trying to do this it's really just going to be we're beta testing we're just kind of tweaking the methodology and everything i don't even know if we're in beta we might be in alpha yeah (laughs) absolutely and you know this is just the beginning because right now we're doing everything by hand yeah. Um, but eventually what we're looking at is, you know, a, a full on COTS product or something that'll help us automate yeah. this process. A, a real UI and a real automation. And it really shouldn't be like we talked about it. It really shouldn't be something that's out of reach at all. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's just data. It's just automated data ma- manipulation. Yeah. And maybe some machine learning built in to see if, you know, our, our algorithms or our methodology is sound and it's sustainable and yep. self-correcting. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I feel like, you know, with the background that the two of us have, we have what it takes to get there. We just got to hustle for it. and We, we just need to find a developer. Yeah. Because um, I can't, like, I can't be allowed <laughs> to touch computers. Yeah. And, you know, what our greatest hope is, is that people will realize, you know, what we're trying to do is appealing. And, mm-hmm. you know, that we'll get the support behind it so that we can really see where we can take this. Yeah. Especially um, at the local level, too. Because, yep. you know, w- without local shooters, without local clubs, our sport would be nothing. Completely. Yeah. Right. So... We're, we're really over, but I think this was something worth going over for. Yeah, and I think this is technically what our flagship episode should be because we're finally talking about what we're trying to do as a company, as a, you know, a pair of shooters. You know, aside from all the talk about gear, about the sport, you know, we're finally talking about what our long-term goals is as a company and what we're trying to do for the sport. Long-term goals are. Are. Are? Yeah. <laughs> it's been 53 minutes, so it's been... It's been and tough. we've been drinking. Yeah. 
Um, but again, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Um, this has been the CSRG podcast, and my name is Chris. My name is Keanu. Shoot well. We'll see you on the range. <laughs>